You're listening to show 11 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. You're listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast, our platform for educating real estate investors about business, accounting, and taxes. You'll get actionable advice that you can use to increase profits for your real estate venture. And now your host, an entrepreneur who happens to be good at taxes, Brandon Hall. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in today. This is middle of January. I do apologize for not having a December podcast. We had some technical difficulties with our mics, but we are now back up and running, so good to go there. I hope 2018 is off to a solid start. We've had a lot of changes, obviously, with the tax code, some of which we're going to discuss today. We're also going to have webinars on January 31st. This is all 2018, so January 31st, 2018 and February 1st, 2018. We're gonna have two webinars on each day. So a 2 p.m. webinar and a 7 p.m. webinar. Again, that's on January 31st and February 1st. And our clients, our current clients, will have access to all four webinars. Non-clients will only have access to two of those webinars. So clients get to choose between the four webinars. They're all gonna be relatively the same, all gonna be discussing relatively the same topics and strategies. But what we're gonna do is break down what changed in the tax code. And we're also going to provide you with some strategies that you can take away and go implement on your own or talk to your own CPA about. Last major announcement, obviously tax season is here. So if you are a current client and you're listening to this and you haven't received an email from us yet, please double check that spam folder or send us an email and make sure that we've got you in our system. Uh, We have sent out emails to all clients at this point. So again, if you haven't received that email, please reach out and let us know. All right, today's topic. We are going to be talking about the tax code and what changed with the GOP tax plan. This tax plan was signed into law in December 2017. A lot has changed and it's a lot to digest. At this point, we're still waiting on the IRS to release temporary regulations, so we don't have all the answers, but we have a good idea of how we can start planning for these big changes. The four big changes that I want to discuss today that will impact real estate investors or anybody that owns real estate are the mortgage interest deduction, the property taxes, so state and local taxes. Again, those are both itemized deductions, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. I also want to talk about the new pass-through deduction, so the new 20% deduction on qualified business income. And lastly, we'll touch on the 100% bonus depreciation deduction that's up from 50%. So one of the big questions that we have been getting from our clients and even non-clients is, will the itemized deduction limits affect me? And these are all from real estate investors. So basically, will the itemized deduction limits negatively impact real estate investors? And the answer is maybe. So if you own rental property, the itemized deductions will not directly affect what you can write off on that rental property because these are itemized deductions. So specifically for the mortgage interest deduction and the property tax deduction, when we write that off on Schedule A, we're writing that off on your primary residence or your second home, not your rental properties. Your rental properties, you'll still be able to deduct all the mortgage interest, all the property taxes associated with that rental property. So it's not going to affect ordinary necessary business deductions that we can still take on that rental real estate. But it is going to affect how much you can write off on your Schedule A. So going forward from the beginning of 2018, 
the mortgage interest deduction is now limited to a deduction on the first $750,000 of acquisition debt. That means that if you buy a $1 million property and you put 25% down, you can deduct the entire mortgage interest because you you have a $750,000 loan. If you buy a $2 million property and you put 20% down or 25% down, you can still only deduct the mortgage interest on the first $750,000. So in this regard, is it going to affect a lot of people? I don't really think so. I mean, we've seen a lot of reports and a lot of analysts coming out and saying that, hey, the mortgage interest deduction is going to negatively affect home prices. And that's what we're more concerned about than anything. But for most people, you should still be okay deducting your mortgage interest. On the other hand, we now have a limitation on the state and local taxes. And if you see everybody saying SALT, S-A-L-T, our SALT deductions are, are being eliminated. That's what this is referring to, state and local taxes. So our state and local tax deduction is now limited to an aggregate $10,000. And again, this is an itemized deduction. So it's showing up on Schedule A, doesn't affect your rental properties. But what it does affect is like if I have, let's say I have like $9,000 in state income taxes. So when I prepare my tax return, I have $9,000 in state income taxes. And then let's also say that I have my primary residence and I have $5,000 in property taxes. Well, previously, I could take a deduction, an itemized deduction, for that full $14,000. But now, going forward from, again, the beginning of 2018 and on, I can only take a deduction equal to $10,000. So we are aggregating property taxes, again, primary residence, secondary residence, and your state and local income taxes. And we are aggregating those together and limiting them to a $10,000 deduction. So when people are asking about home prices, this is what I think is going to affect home prices. Ultimately, if I'm going to go buy a home, let's say I have $1,000 a month that I can spend. And let's say that the taxes, that my tax refund or that my tax reduction as a result of being able to write off mortgage interest and property taxes, I count on that for my $1,000 a month. So like, I might be able to pay $1,100 a month for 12 months, but then I get a refund equal to 1,200 bucks, like a tax refund equal to 1,200 bucks. And as a result, it nets out to $1,000 a month over the course of 12 months. Well, if I can only afford that $1,000 a month and I'm counting on that tax deduction in order to get me down to that $1,000 a month, and now that tax deduction is gone, I can't spend the $1,100 anymore on a monthly basis. I can only spend $1,000 because I no longer have that tax deduction to rely on. And as a result of me only being able to spend $1,000, I'm only going to look for property that allows me to spend that $1,000 on a monthly basis. And if this happens to a lot of people, what you might see is some price depression. But I don't want to, you know, we're, we're not making an official call by any means. Again, we've seen a lot of analysts predicting that prices are going to drop, but we want to bring it up for our listeners and also our clients because everybody owns real estate. At least if you're listening to this show, you most likely own real estate. And that real estate might be negatively impacted as a result of the limitation of these itemized deductions. So just something to kind of watch out for and pay attention to as we go on. But time will definitely tell. We're not 100% sure, again, what's going to happen just yet. All right, let's jump into the 20% pass-through deduction. So it's called a pass-through deduction, but it also applies to sole proprietors. 
So people who file on Schedule C or who file on Schedule E, where your rentals are filed, you will still qualify for this 20% pass-through deduction as long as it's trade or business income. So that's the key. We're not 100% sure yet if very, very, very passive investments will qualify. We, we know that interest and dividends don't qualify. We're just not 100% sure as to what level of activity you need to participate in in your activity in order to qualify for this 20% deduction. Uh, we're thinking that it's a material participation aspect. So again, there's seven tests for material participation, 500 hours or 100 hours and more than anybody else. Those are the two tests that we see most often. So we might be in a position where we have to demonstrate that we materially participated in our rental real estate activities in order to qualify for the 20% pass-through deduction. But again, we're going to figure that out whenever the IRS releases their temporary regulations, which we're expecting over the coming months. So this 20% deduction applies to your net income. And if you have rental property, there's a good chance that you have negative net income, at least for tax purposes. So if you have negative net income, after we factor in like depreciation and amortization, you obviously won't have any income to take the 20% deduction on. So the idea here is... How do we structure the real estate so that we can take that 20% deduction on the net income generated by the real estate? We've seen some creative ideas pop up in the CPA community. Uh, and again, caveat here is that we don't have the IRS temporary regs just yet. We'll know more once we do. But one of the ideas that we keep seeing pop up is if I throw my rental real estate that's producing income, so passive income after everything on my tax return, if I throw that real estate into an LLC, the LLC might qualify for that 20% deduction by itself. If I don't throw it into an LLC, then I have to aggregate all my rental income and my rental losses together. So for example, I might have a property that produces a $10,000 passive loss and then another property that produces a $6,000 passive income. Well, if I report both of those on Schedule E, or if they're both in their own entity, basically if they're grouped together, then I do have to aggregate. And what would happen here is I would have a $4,000 passive loss, which means that I can't take that 20% deduction. But the idea is what if I take that rental property that's producing a $6,000 passive income and I put that into an LLC? The thought process here is that the LLC itself would qualify for the 20% pass-through deduction meaning that I would have a $10,000 passive loss on my personal returns, and I would have an LLC in place that would have passive income of $6,000 that would then qualify for this 20% deduction. There's a lot of questions around that. So single-member LLCs, those are disregarded for tax purposes. So if I put it into a single-member LLC, then I just report it on Schedule E anyway. So do I aggregate the two properties at that point, or do I need to put it into a partnership and then produce K-1s, and then the partners take the 20% deduction on their personal tax returns. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but that was one idea that we thought that was rather intriguing. And again, we'll know more whenever the IRS releases their temporary regulations, which we're expecting to come out over the next couple months. There are quite a few limitations to this 20% deduction. Uh, service businesses are going to have a difficult time taking this 20% deduction unless they fall below two thresholds. So the first threshold is $157,500. And that is if you are single and it's on taxable income. The second threshold is taxable income of $315,000 if you're married. So if you're single, you have a taxable income threshold of $157,500. 
If you're married, you have a taxable income threshold of $315,000. And what this means is that if your taxable income is below that amount, so if I'm single and my taxable income is below $157,500, then I can take the 20% deduction regardless of what business I run, regardless of my activities, I can take a full 20% deduction on all of my trades or businesses. So each trade or business that I have, I can take that 20% deduction as long as I'm below that 157,500 threshold. Same thing for if you're married, except now we have a $315,000 threshold. So if I'm married and I want to get my taxable income below 315K so that I can take the full 20% deduction. When you go above those amounts, that 20% deduction begins to be phased out. And we're not going to jump into what that means because it's pretty complicated. But just understand that like other things in the code, the benefit does get phased out as you earn more money. So one strategy here that we've kind of talked about internally, which isn't super creative, but it's something that everybody should be aware of. If your business nets, let's just call it $350,000 and you're married, we need to get your income below 315K. So we might have you contribute money to a solo 401K or to a self-directed IRA. Ideally, we can max out the solo 401K or the self-directed IRA at $55,000. That's the new contribution rate for 2018. And if we are able to do that, then we're going to drop your income below that $315,000 threshold. And what that will then allow you to do, like let's say that we have, I don't know, $300,000 left over of net business income after we take the 401k and the self-directed IRA contribution deduction. If we have that 300k left over, then then we're below the 315k mark and now we get to take a 20% deduction on the 300k of remaining business income. So by simply contributing to a retirement account to drop our income below that 315k mark, in this example since we're left with $300,000, we get a free $60,000 tax deduction, which for most taxpayers will result in a fairly significant amount of tax savings, somewhere in the ballpark of $15,000. So this is something else to keep in mind as you're moving your business forward, especially if you're a service-based business, because if your income does get above those thresholds that I mentioned, the service-based businesses are not allowed to take the deduction. So there are other limitations for other businesses, but service-based businesses you get completely phased out. You can't take the deduction at all, unfortunately for accounting firms. So let's assume that your taxable income is above those thresholds, but you're not running a service-based business. Maybe you just have an expansive real estate portfolio. Maybe you have a W-2 job and some real estate. What you need to be aware of are the limitations that apply to this 20% pass-through deduction. Once we get above those thresholds, we have to take the lesser of the 20% deduction or another formula, which we're going to talk about in a second. The other formula is the greater of 50% of the wages paid by the business or 25% of the wages paid by the business plus 2.5% of the unadjusted basis of the property. So if you have a rental portfolio, you probably don't pay any wages to yourself. At least I would hope not. So the greater of... 50% of the wages paid by the business or 25% of the wages paid by the business plus 2.5% of the unadjusted basis, we're going to be using the second part of that equation, the 25% of the wages paid plus 2.5% of the unadjusted basis because we didn't pay any wages. So the 50% of the wages is, is zero. But if we paid $110,000 for our property and $10,000 of that is allocated to land, 
then that means that we have a $100,000 unadjusted basis. So our 2.5% deduction on that would be equal to $2,500. So when we go all the way back, and I know this is probably hard to follow without like a whiteboard and everything. So that's why you should join our webinars. <laughs> join our webinars January 31st and February 1st, because I'm going to be drawing all this out for you and you can understand how this flows. So we've got this $2,500 deduction. And again, that was figured by the greater of 50% of the wages paid by the business, which was zero, or 25% of the wages paid, again, zero, plus 2.5% of the unadjusted basis. Our unadjusted basis was $100,000. So we have a $2,500 deduction. Then we go back to this, the lesser of 20% or the greater of that other formula, which we just walked through. So let's assume now that we also have $10,000 of passive income after depreciation, after amortization, we would have a $2,000 deduction on that normally if our taxable income was below those thresholds. But because it's not below the 157.5K threshold if you're single or 315K threshold if you're married, what will then happen is we have to take the lesser of the $2,000. Again, that was 20% on the 10K of passive income. So the lesser of that $2,000 or the $2,500, the unadjusted basis formula, which we just talked about. So in this case, we would only take that $2,000 deduction. But if our property was generating $100,000, then we would be taking the lesser of $20,000 or 2.5% of the unadjusted basis, which again, in this case was $2,500. So our deduction would be limited to $2,500. And I know that a $100,000 property generating $100,000 is insane. Just uh, go with the example there. If you do find one of those properties, let me know because I'm very interested. But the point of all of this, the point of walking you through that was not was to totally confuse you. I'm just kidding. The, the point of walking you through all of that was to show you that there is a little clause in there for real estate investors. That's that 2.5% of the unadjusted basis of the property. It's actually been referred to as the Trump Corker uh, rule. And it's called the Trump Corker rule because they both own expansive real estate portfolios. So this 2.5% of the unadjusted basis, this deduction that, that was created will benefit them as well as every real estate investor out there. But again, we have to generate passive income. If there's no passive income being generated, then there's no deduction to be had. So let's wrap up that confusing section and we'll move on to 100% bonus depreciation. So previously, there was an allowance for 50% bonus depreciation for any item that was placed in service that had a useful life of less than 20 years. That deduction has now doubled. So we're moving up from 50 to 100% bonus depreciation. And this is good news because if you were to replace your driveway or a parking lot, those are both considered land improvements and they would have a depreciable life of 15 years. Now, instead of having to depreciate them over a long period of time, we can write off the entire cost of the asset in year one. Same thing with appliances, carpeting, any personal property items that have a useful life of five years or even seven years. All of that can now be 100% expensed in the year that it's placed in service. It's going to be interesting to see how this applies to cost segregation studies. I think that if you were to buy a property in 2018 and get a cost segregation study done, instead of having to wait five years to recapture the benefits of the cost seg study, you can probably get everything written off in that first year. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all that plays out. The one thing that I do want to bring up here is that bonus depreciation is still depreciation. 
And the reason that I bring that up is because at some point in the future, whenever you liquidate your property, if you liquidate through selling, you will incur something called Section 1250 Recapture. It's a tax that is assessed on all of the depreciation you have taken over the hold period of that property. And it can be a pretty hefty tax. So we still want to understand that, you know, even though we get this really nice boon in year one, at some point later on down the line, I'm going to have to pay tax on that depreciation and I need to be prepared for that. So make sure you talk with your CPA and work through a couple of examples so that you understand the impact of that 100% bonus depreciation later on down the line. Well, that's it today. Thanks so much for tuning in. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or feedback, email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com. If you like today's show, please leave us a review on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. And I'm super appreciative of all the people that have given us a review so far. It's, it's you guys that make me keep producing this show. So please, please leave a review. Uh, we would love to hear from you and sign up for our newsletter. You can sign up by simply going to our website, waiting for, I think it's like 10 seconds, a pop-up will pop up and you can enter your name and email address. And what we do is we send out a monthly newsletter. Now, going forward within the next couple months, we are going to become a little bit more active on that email newsletter. So we're going to be sending it out multiple times a month. And we're also going to have a lot more content opportunities like webinars that we'll be inviting people to. So make sure that you sign up for that newsletter so that you don't miss out. But thanks a ton for tuning in today. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I hope 2018's off to a rockin' start. If you enjoyed today's show, please visit therealestatecpa.com for our newsletter, tips, articles, and podcast show notes. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. We'll see you next time.